When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Duke fans, hello and welcome to episode number 557 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. It is Monday, November 13th, 2023, and Duke has another big game coming up tomorrow night at the United Center in Chicago. It is a Champions Classic. It is Michigan State. We will preview that and also take a look at the ACC and also the gridiron because we do have to talk about that Duke-UNC football game from last Saturday night. Before we get into all that, good morning. I am Donald Juan. I am your host for this episode. I got Jason Evans alongside me. Jason, good morning to you. Hey, Donald. I'm I'm eager to look ahead to this game against Michigan State because, uh, dude, I think this is a super, super important game. This is a way more important game than I thought it was going to be. Um, I kind of thought we were going to beat Arizona, and suddenly we didn't. And this game suddenly takes on, I think, just huge importance for Duke. Yeah, well, you know what? Let's just get right into it because that is the big uh, topic on our plate this morning. Again, we're playing Michigan State tomorrow night in the Champions Classic United Center in Chicago, 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. Right now is being billed as number two versus number four, but we are recording before the weekly polls have changed. So that will change before this uh, after this recording comes out. But Sparty comes in. They're one and one. Alongside wait, wait, hey, you know what? Hey, Donald, mm-hmm. uh, let's I'm going to go ahead and guess right now. I think Duke falls to about eight. Michigan State falls to about 17. That's my guess. I'm not guessing on where they're going to fall because this is week one. <laughs> they could fall out of the polls for all I care. Like this is this is is week one. We're talking about a week week one loss. But yes, but it was a big one. Um, but yes, it won't be number two versus number four that I can guarantee. But no. interestingly enough, when we look at different <laughs> polls, obviously, you know, this this show, we like to look at Kim Palm and Michigan State is ranked 30th in Kim Palm. And Jason, I know you'll talk about some of the metrics in a little bit and why they're probably ranked number 30 in Kim Palm. But right now, I just want to talk about the week that was Michigan State. They opened up losing to James Madison, 79 to 76 in overtime. So far, that is the biggest upset in college basketball in the first week of the season. The Dukes going into the Breslin Center to beat the Spartans in overtime. They then rebounded with a 74 to 51 win over Southern Indiana, a team, Jason, that we will see in a couple of weeks in Cameron. Other teams that Michigan State will eventually play that we have also that we will also see, they will play Arizona in a week, and then they play Baylor just a few days before Baylor heads to the Garden to play us in December. So it, interestingly enough, Michigan State, Duke, similarly scheduled, you know, non-conference games, you know, a couple of common opponents, which is something that's not, you know, something we see a lot in college basketball. I will say, Jason, before I get it to you, when you look at the two games, and I know we'll talk a little bit about this more in advanced metrics, but I want to lead you in with this. 
Michigan State has done two things over the last year, the last few years, very well. One is rebounding, and the other is perimeter shooting. Now, against James Madison and against Southern Indiana, the perimeter shooting was non-existent. They have made two three-pointers all year. They have one of the worst three-point shooting percentages in college basketball. Again, we're talking about the first week of the season. And then rebounding. Like, I, like I've said on previous podcasts, like you have to be able to rebound to go to Michigan State. That is like one of the unofficial graduation requirements, one of the unofficial entry requirements to be a Michigan State Spartan and play basketball there. And they've been rebounding decently. But again, against James Madison, they were out-rebounded. And it proved to be the difference in that 79-76 loss that they had in overtime. So, Jason, I go to you. I know you're going to talk a little bit about the advanced metrics, but I wanted to start with really the three-point shooting because that has been their Achilles heel so far this season. Yeah, you're talking about a team that's hitting just 6.5% from three thus far in the season. They were only, as you mentioned, only one of 20 from three in the loss to James Madison. They then went one of 11 from three against Southern Indiana. And I think it's I think it's notable that they took a lot fewer threes against Southern Indiana that maybe they're the team is recognizing a little bit of where their weaknesses are. You know, after going one of 20, they went, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't take this shot that much anymore. <laughs> We're not doing it that well. Maybe we should uh, cut down on, on the number of three-pointers we take. And, and and look, that that's the case, but it's not going to last. There's no way this Michigan State team, you know, hits, hell, less than 20% of their three-pointers on the season. It's just not... It, it's not feasible when you look at their roster, look at the guys that they have who can who can fill it up from deep. It doesn't make any sense to think that they're going to continue to do this. I fully expect them. I fully expect them to go like, you know, shoot like 55 percent from three against us. Like that's the, yeah. you know, the, the you know, when you think about this, like, oh, this team and, and, and mind you, ladies and gentlemen, we've had a lot of people email us about this specific topic about Michigan state not being great from three point shooting it so far this season. So I fully expect them to shoot 55% because this, I feel like that's just how it goes. Yeah. And, and, and I will say that they have done a good job at other aspects of their offense in their first couple of games. They're doing a very nice job of getting to the free throw line by driving to the hole. They share the ball really well. We're talking about a team that's like top 20 in the land in assist percentage, top 25 in the country in free throw rate. So that's the way they are getting points when they're not hitting threes. But again, I don't think they're going to continue to not hit threes. I mean, look at a guy like Tyson Walker. He's their leading scorer. He's a fifth-year senior. This is a very experienced college basketball player. He is due for a big game from beyond the arc. This is a guy who hit 41% of his threes a year ago. Come on, at Duke, we'd kill for a dude who could hit 40-plus percent of his threes. Two years ago, he hit 47% from three-point range. I mean, a dude who regularly hits better than 40% is not going to continue to shoot, you know, the way he has thus far this season. I think he's like one for seven on the season at at the moment. Um, He's a big assignment for Duke, a really important guy that Duke needs to match up against because he is their leading scorer. Everything sort of flows through him. I think Tyrese Proctor will probably get the assignment of guarding Tyson Walker. But I'm, I'm worried after watching Michigan State miss all those threes in their past two games that they are due for a good game against Duke. Uh, look, Tyson, uh, Walk- Tyson Walker, yeah. real quickly. Yeah, he had 35 points against James Madison in that loss, and he did not hit a three pointer in that game. So th- that you're speaking, you're speaking truth about the fact that he's he's hitting these, you know, getting a lot of buckets, 
and he still hasn't really started to light it up from beyond the arc, which we've seen him do in years past. Yeah, definitely. Although it's worth noting, even though, you know, like I said, even though a guy who's hit 40 plus percent, he he's not been a guy who like goes out there and shoots six, seven threes a game. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, two years ago, he was only taking about two, three pointers a game. Last year, he took about four. He's shooting more, but but he's a guy who primarily is going to beat you in the mid range game and especially driving to the to the basket. Uh, I, I want to talk about their defense very quickly because this is a very, very good defensive team at Michigan State. They are physical. They force you into tough shots. Uh, their opponents are hitting less than 40% of their field goals, less than 30% of their threes. So Michigan State, you know, grinds you down on that end of the floor. As a result, the they, they're playing at a slow tempo. Games against Michigan State are not games where you're racing up and down the floor a lot. They are, you know, like 286th in tempo in the country. And a lot of that is this, this grind you up defense that they play. And Donald, you mentioned the other, you know, really significant thing is the rebounding, which is always huge for Michigan State. And thus far, they just have not been the rebounding machine they usually are. You mentioned that they were out rebounded by James Madison. They only won the the battle of the boards, thirty seven to thirty three, against Southern uh, Indiana. And, and honestly, Southern Indiana is just not a very good team. This Michigan State team is not very big. That you know, most of the guys they play are. Are, are, are you know middle kind of size like six five to six seven their biggest player in the starting lineup the guy who's going to play the most in the middle is uh maddie sissoko who's six nine 250 i mean dude dude is a man he's 22 he's years not old tall, but he's wide he's a buick he is wide yeah and he is strong i mean like strong he's physically strong and a very good offensive rebounder i, I think it's going to be really interesting to to watch him against flip one of my biggest questions, Donald, about this game, and you know, we've talked a little bit about what Michigan State does. I, I, at least from my standpoint, I kind of want to move to what Duke will do in this game. One of my most interesting questions is how much does Duke go small with Kyle Filipowski at the five? You know, what does the big man rotation look like for Duke? That that was something that was a big concern for a lot of our listeners during the game against Arizona. We talked about it extensively. People were, you know, there are people who said need more flip at the five. People who said we need more Sean Stewart. More Christian Reeves, less Ryan Young. Need Ryan Young to shoot a little bit more. Um, what Duke does at the five, I think, is a really important part of this game, especially because I think Maddie Sissoko, who is incredibly strong, not the fleetest of foot. I think if he is in a situation where he has to follow Kyle Filipowski after the three-point line, that's a dangerous situation for Michigan State. So that's one of the things I'm really going to be watching for in terms of personnel matchups in this game. I'm glad you mentioned that last part because that's exactly one of the matchups I was going to be looking for. When when Kyle Filipowski goes out to the free point line, and you know, mind you, again, early in the year, he's been making, you know, most of his threes so far. He hasn't taken that many, but he's been making them. And when he's out there, that just adds another dynamic to his game. Remember last year, he was shooting like 28% from three and still getting those buckets and still be able to at least get people out to the three-point line where then he can either shoot where he can, you know, do what he does best, drive the hole, get baskets, or get to the free throw line, or both. So for Sissoko to be a, a guy that's not really quick, and and like you said, he's not tall, but he's he's wide. He's going to try and be physical with Kyle Filipowski, especially when he comes out to the perimeter and tries to drive in on him. But that's where, again, he can draw fouls, he can go to the line, he can make his free throws. So I, I look forward to that matchup, and I also look forward to seeing, because... 
you know, Michigan State is not a tall team at all. Like, you know, the main guy that really is going to get a lot of playing time that's tall is Sissoko. Sissoko's only 6'9". He plays a little bit bigger than 6'9", but you get my drift. I, I think when it comes to the rest of the guys, we're going to have some mismatches. And we're going to have some mismatches either in size or in quickness. And I think the biggest deal is going to be perimeter defense. Our perimeter defense has been pretty decent so far, but perimeter defense has to be the key because, again, I think the guy that's going to beat you is Tyson Walker. And if you can limit the number of possessions that he has the ball in his hand and is able to you know, make make things happen with the basketball, you put you put the onus and the pressure on the rest of the team. And so far, they haven't shown up to play. So I think when you get the ball, and, and also, again, I, I don't want to see this be a game where they start hitting their threes. Let them do that later on in the season. Predator defense is going to be key in that regard. And again, I, I even though they have not done this well this year, win the rebounding battle because Michigan State literally their spinach. If you're if they're a Popeye, their spinach is rebounds. Whenever they get rebounds, it feeds them, it fuels them, and it drives them. And we cannot give them any motivation in this game. They're going to be in the Breslin Center. They're going to have a lot of fans there. They're going to be closer to home. We, you know, we we've done the travel and. They're coming off a win where they've gotten some confidence. We want to make it in. They had an extra day's rest because they played on Thursday. We played on Friday against Arizona. So making sure they do not get their spinach is the key to this game. If we win the rebounding battle, I think we are going to win the points battle in the end. Hey, there are two things I'm looking for from Duke in this game. One is, uh, is Jared McCain ready for a breakout moment? I I feel like, I talked a lot about how much I loved his ball handling, his distribution, his shot obviously is tremendously impressive, but I I feel like there's a strong possibility that we're going to, at some point, there's going to be a game where you're just going to go, wow, Jared McCain was the best. I I think you're going to go, Jared McCain was the best player on the floor. I don't know when that game's going to happen, but I just feel like every time I watch him, I'm like, that guy's ready to take over games. And and I wonder if this Michigan State game may be the, the time that happens. And then the other thing I'm looking for uh, involves some of the other guys in Duke's backcourt. I, I, I was, let's just put it this way, I was critical of the play of Tyrese Proctor and Caleb Foster in Duke's loss to Arizona. I thought both those guys can play a lot, lot better than what we saw in that game. We need more out of our point guards than what we got from those two guys. I mean, look, Caleb Foster, I've I've talked about it a lot. Folks, if you haven't listened to our recap of the Arizona game, Caleb Foster played almost 13 minutes, and the only thing he did was get a foul. That's literally the only thing he did in the entire box score. That just cannot happen. Caleb Foster's too good for that kind of thing to happen again. So that you know, that's where I am on the Duke players. I'm really watching the perimeter guys, I think, more than anything else. I know you have another thing, but just really quickly on Caleb Foster, when you look at, you know, all of you out there know we we really reference Ken Palm for a lot of our stats and a lot of our analytics. And Ken Palm does a great job of breaking down who, when you're looking at a team, who the significant contributors are and who the bench players are, who are the players that may have a limited role but can do some damage. And what they have listed for Caleb Foster is, and this is a quote, nearly invisible. I don't want to ever hear the words wow. nearly invisible next to Caleb Foster ever again, because wow. Caleb Foster <laughs> is an, a very important piece in, in this puzzle. When he comes off the bench, he's one of the first guys off the bench. He cannot be nearly invisible tomorrow night. Hey, speaking of first guys off the bench, uh, there is one more Michigan state player that I want us to highlight. Six, uh, five freshman Cohen Carr kids, a top 50 recruit. Ordinarily you wouldn't think too much of that, 
Well, he's a top 50 recruit because he is a ridiculous, explosive athlete. He's number 55. Keep your eye on this guy. Keep your eye on number 55 every moment of the game. I read a scouting report on him that described him as the most violent leaper in his high school class. Okay, I've heard of explosive. I've never heard of violent. Oh, I've heard of violent, and I know exactly what that means. I mean, and I don't Cohen want Carr. I don't want the rest of the I don't want the rest of you to find out what that means tomorrow night. Co- Cohen Carr is he's look he's still learning how to do other things on the basketball court, but he is a violent leaper. This dude, if if he gets out in the open floor, just watch out. He's 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 fun to watch, and I'm going to be really interested in seeing like who Duke, Duke match, matches up on him. He's not like completely raw. Let's be clear. He has skills. He can, you know, he can score some. He's got a decent mid-range game. Um, but what he really does is just get out there and jump over you, which is uh, kind of exciting to watch out for. I'll give people some Duke, some Duke relations to to what violent jumper means. Think Zion Williamson. Think Cassius Stanley. Those type of guys. Not it's not just jumping high. It's yep. jumping when you jump. You jump with with the the with a purpose, and that purpose is murder. Like when Zion Williamson <laughs> jumped up with the with the basketball, there was no there was no one's like, oh, he's just gonna lay it in off the glass. No, he wanted to break your hand off. That is what violent jumping is. Again, we don't want to see that tomorrow night. Keep that, keep that in, in East Lansing. Don't bring that to Chicago. So with that, we'll wrap that up on on Michigan State Duke again tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. Again, tune in, watch, or if you're in the Breslin Center. Let us know, DBR podcast, or not the presence of the United Center. If you're in the United Center tomorrow night, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us how it was, and hopefully there's a lot of Duke blue in the stands alongside the, the other blues and greens that may be in that arena. But, Jason, I want to shift focus to the rest of the ACC. We've talked about the ACC non-conference schedule being you know, very important for the conference as they try to get more than five teams into the NCAA tournament. We all have the stats game. We all picked ACC to have more than five teams, but to do that, they need to do well in this non-conference season. So in this first week, Jason, you took a look at the conference. How do we do? Tell me the grades passing. Oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, Donald. It depends on the team. Depends on the team. Look, uh, we we reported uh, last week that the ACC on opening day went undefeated. That's great. I mean, that that's, you know, winning games, winning games matters. ACC is no longer undefeated. It wasn't just a good loss like Duke's loss to Arizona, which everyone is saying, you know, that's perfectly acceptable. You lose to a, a really good, high-quality team like that. We don't want it, but but it happens. Uh, the ACC also picked up a couple other, you know, decent losses. These aren't things that are going to keep you out of the tournament kind of stuff. Virginia Tech fell to South Carolina by 2, 79-77. That's okay. Wake Forest lost to Georgia, 80-77. to also, okay, I mean, I, the one thing I would say about those is that Virginia Tech and Wake, if they're competing for an NCAA tournament kind of bid, South Carolina and Georgia are sort of the kind of teams you might be competing with, <laughs> and it, it doesn't look good to have those losses, but, you know, they're not terrible. Get ready for the terrible. Uh, Louisville lost to Chattanooga. Now, look, the moccasins are not, like, the worst mid-major. They're a decent mid- mid-major, but still, Louisville fell at home to Chattanooga. And it it feels like Louisville's on their way to another wretched season. But I think that Louisville will not be the worst team in the ACC. Donald, I'm here to tell you that Notre Dame is going to be the worst team in the ACC. They lost to Western Carolina. 
at home, Western Carolina. Notre Dame trailed by double digits at the half. They ended up losing the game 71 to 61. I mean, when you're playing at home against Western Carolina, and frankly, you're like not really super competitive, that's a really, really bad sign. So, you know, along with Duke, those are the five losses the ACC's picked up. I do want to mention some of the wins. It's worth noting that Georgia Tech beat a bad Howard team by only three points. Tech trailed by five with three minutes. With I'm sorry, with five minutes to go in that contest, they managed to pull off the victory. But Georgia Tech's another one that does not look good. I, I think I think you're probably talking about the bottom of the conference there with Louisville, Notre Dame, and Georgia Tech. Uh, there were a couple good wins that the ACC can hang their hat on. Virginia beat Florida by three. That's a nice victory. Um, Clemson had a couple wins over UAB and Davidson. Look, those are not like great teams, but they're both teams that are going to hover around the top hundred, probably inside the top 100. So those are good wins for Clemson and, and Clemson, at least early on, looks like they're, they're, a, a, you know, going to contend for the top of the ACC. And then Donald, I got to mention your Miami hurricanes. They beat UCF central Florida by 16 central Florida is now member of the, the, of the big 12. They're, you know, pretty good program there. Wooga Poplar had 23 in this game. He was five of five from three-point range. I told you, Wuga. I told you Wuga's going to be a problem this year. Wuga is a Wuga is a problem. He now has, in both of their games, he's hit five three-pointers. Wuga's firing from deep and hitting all those shots. Miami, uh, you know, look, I'm not going to say too much about Duke's loss to Arizona, but you ask me who the second-best team in the ACC is, maybe the, maybe the best team in the ACC right now, Miami. There's no question about it. So, Jason, you mentioned a couple of these losses that, yeah, they're bad, um, especially for the ACC. I, I do want to mention that that is not something that is, you know, solely you know solely tied to the ACC. When you look at the Big Ten, of course, the Big Ten is viewed as probably the best basketball conference. You had Michigan State again. They had the biggest upset in or they were the part of the biggest upset in college basketball so far this week. Uh, they lost at home to James Madison. Maryland lost to Davidson and UAB. And Rutgers lost at home the, in the, the battle. The same of New teams that Mar- Maryland and Clemson were in that same tournament with Davidson and UAB. Yep. And Maryland lost twice and Clemson won twice. That's good for the ACC. Yeah. That's good for the ACC. And the battle of New Jersey, Rutgers versus Princeton. Princeton beats Rutgers. So the only difference between the ACC and the Big Ten when I mention some of these losses is that the Big Ten has four words benefit of the doubt. Whenever that happens, you know, when, when they lose, oh, you know, they have a tough conference schedule. They're going to have some bumps along the way. It's fine. The ACC doesn't get that benefit of the doubt. So when it comes to the non-conference schedule, and I think there's, again, there's some some big games still left on the schedule uh, for ACC teams to play. Of course, tomorrow night is one of them. I, I think looking forward to those games and focusing on those games, and again, some of these, uh, when you're playing Power 5 non-conference opponents, those are the ones that the ACC needs to focus on and get victories on because that is going to be what fuels, uh, you know, any decision making in that committee room come March time. So looking forward to seeing how the ACC does this week. We'll keep track of it right now. Let's take a quick break on the other side. we got to switch to football because Duke UNC for the neutrals. It was a game for the edges. But for Duke, it was another instance of why do the referees hate us more after this. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many, leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional, licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Duke Roundup. We're back and we switched to the gridiron and on Saturday night, Duke traveled the eight miles down to Chapel Hill to face UNC and once again, the battle for the victory bell. And once again, Jason, the referees decided to be a part of the action in a bad way for Duke fans. The final score, 47 to 45, UNC wins in double overtime. And let me tell you first off that if you did not watch this game, Let me paint a picture of how Duke played. Duke may have been inconsistent, but Duke played their hearts out in this game. They had a lot of great contributions from a lot of players who were forced to step into big situations. We had some injuries during the game. We had some guys. I mean, we're still on our third string quarterback. Grayson Loftus, I thought, had his best game so far. In a Duke oh uniform. man, did he grow up in the fourth quarter or what, man? Wow. He he's no longer a true freshman. We're not calling him true freshman Grayson Loftus anymore. That man is is a man because he he stepped up in big ways in not just the fourth quarter, but also in overtime. I thought he performed, yeah. you know, extremely well. But of course, Jason, it comes down to a couple of plays, and those couple of plays were incredible. I'm gonna let you take it because I'm still upset about it. Uh, but tell tell us what's happened in this game, at least the couple of plays that we're we're talking about here. I mean the the big the big play the one that everyone's talking about is the interception that that didn't happen, where uh, UNC tight end Bryson Nesbitt made a uh, a, a reception like uh, down to like the five or seven yard line something like that, and it looked to everyone who looked at the play like like uh, like uh, Duke defensive back Chandler Rivers grabbed the ball out of his. Out of, out of his arms and that it should have been an interception. And this is with like two and a half minutes left or something like that. It was, it was late in the game. And instead the, the refs didn't even bother to review it. They didn't even bother to look at the play. And there are numerous other plays. I, look, the, there's so many things about this game that were horribly imbalanced because of the officials. I, you know, just look at the penalties. I mean, UNC had three penalties. For 20 yards, Duke had more than 80 yards of penalties. 
Uh, it just felt like Car- like the refs would let Carolina do whatever they wanted. Uh, there was a very controversial play in in the second overtime where UNC had a had an offensive lineman well into the end zone. Should have been you know too far downfield for a passing play. The refs just didn't even uh, they they wouldn't call. He anything. could have caught the it, ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it it was it was wrong and inconsistent. And I want to be clear about something. I am not one of these believers in conspiracy theories. You know, I don't think that the ACC instructed the refs to give Carolina the victory or anything silly like that. Frankly, the, those kind of notions to me are are absurd. There is no there's no conspiracy to help Duke in basketball. There's no conspiracy to help Carolina in football. But I do expect my refs to get the rules right, to do it fairly, and. I mean, on a situation that the interception, at least go look at it. That was the thing that was really right. frustrating. Just well, go look at about, the the, the replay. The, the replay rule exists. Use the replay rule. It's there for a reason. Right. On a change of possession, like in, in the NFL and even in college, a lot of times, even if it's not a touchdown, even if it's not a turnover, they call it one anyway, because they know that it initiates a replay a free replay so that they can go look at it and go, Oh, you know what? You know, I was wrong or, or whatever. They can confirm the call. The fact that they said, Nope, no interception. And then continued as if nothing happened is really what's mind boggling. And Jason, I'm with you. There's no, I don't subscribe to the conspiracy theory rules. However, players have good games. Players have bad games. Referees have good games and referees have bad games on Saturday night. The referees had a very bad game. Yep. My issue with it is that it's the second year in a row when we've played UNC that the referees had a bad game. That is not a still conspiracy theory level, but that leads people to believe, like, hey, this is a big-time game for the conference. They may not think so, but it is. People tune in for this game because it's Duke versus UNC. They may tune in because it's basketball. They want to see how it translates to football, but it is a big-time rivalry for this conference. And for the referees to get it wrong two years in a row, I think is is absurd and unacceptable. Like that is that is a game that you need to have your aid lined up in. And I know there was other games going on that day at the same time or, or at least earlier that day. And but but for us, we can't get let down by the refs every single year when we play UNC because it means a lot. This this victory bell is one of the older trophies in college football. And it they is. need to understand that it, it that it's something to be recognized that hey, we need to review these calls. Make it again, make it where we get the play right. I don't care if, if it's going against us as long as you get the play right. And time after time, these games have come down to a couple of points, a play here or there where the referees got got it wrong. And so that's where I think a lot of the angst and and anger is coming from, at least on the part of Duke fans. But Jason, we as we put that in our re- rearview mirror, something bigger that has come up, I guess, in the last day or so is that it really has nothing to do with Duke, but it could. And that is Texas A&M, according to reports, have fired head coach Jimbo Fisher and did not like his performance so much that they are willing to pay him $76 million to leave. And we all know. Yo, you should repeat that for people who didn't. I'm not going to repeat it because I'm not going to repeat it because then I start getting, you know, delusions of grandeur of how I would spend $76 million if it was just given to me. He's getting $76 million to go home. And if he gets another job, he still gets that $76 million. Having said that, Mike Elko. Hey, good work if you can get it. (laughs) Yeah, it ain't tricking if you got it. Um, 
Mike Elko was the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M before he traveled to become the head coach at Duke. And yep. the early indications are that Mike Elko is one of the top candidates to replace Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. This is something that we talked about early in the season, or actually before the season started, when he got that contract extension from Duke through the 2029 season. And now, Jason, I know I've heard that with all the stuff going on at Michigan, that if Jim Harbaugh were to leave, Mike Elko might be considered as one of the candidates for that position. So, Jason, I say I say all that to ask you this question. When we had David Cutcliffe, David Cutcliffe had his dream job come up not once but twice in the form of the head coaching job at Tennessee. And twice he turned it down to stay at Duke. Do we think if it is the proverbial if we because nothing has happened yet, but if Mike Elko gets that phone call from Texas A&M or even Michigan, does he answer the call or does he say what David Cluck have famously told Tennessee the first time, quote, I already got a job. I mean, look, if I knew that answer, I'd uh, I'd be writing columns for for Sports Illustrated and, and ESPN and the such. No one knows the answer to that. No one knows what Michael El- Elko is necessarily thinking. He's only been in Durham for two years. He does have teenage kids. And it's possible that they have really become attached to the friends that they've made and the such. But it's also possible that they're like that, you know, if Elko says, oh, should we go back to to College Station? That they're like, yeah. And that, the you know, that the family is eager to return to to the middle of, <laughs> of nowhere, Texas at Texas A&M. Uh, I, you and I do not have the insight into the Elko family, into Mike Elko to know the specific answer to that. Uh, I I can tell you what I hope the answer is. And I can also tell you that I think Mike Elko probably feels some real allegiance to Jimbo Fisher. That, you know, they are good friends. They've worked together for many years. And the notion of going to replace his buddy at Texas A&M may not be something that really appeals to Mike Elko. I'll tell you something else. I mean, look, we, we love Mike Elko for getting to be bowl eligible here at Duke. You know, we've been singing his praises. The team has won a grand total of six games. They're six and four. If he was six and four at Texas A&M, they'd be ready to throw his butt out the door again. It's a it's a different level of pressure at different kinds of programs. And I I don't know, but it's very possible that Mike Elko is like, you know what? I'm really happy here. I'm building something special here and I'm going to stick around and see it through. I I kind of feel like. I kind of feel like the Michigan, uh, sorry, the uh, Texas A&M job is not the job that's going to take him away. Uh, but if you tell me that that Michigan is going to come calling, then I get it. That's that's a really tough one to turn down. That's probably Michigan, probably easily a top ten job in the sport. So the other thing I wonder a little bit is, you know, when Duke was five and one this seat on the season. And the, the one was that, you know, that loss to Notre Dame, that was a very tight, very close, very exciting game. Well, you were, you were looking at Mike Elko as a huge rising star in the profession. I'm not saying that he isn't still a big deal and a good hire for any program out there, but at six and four at the moment, doesn't look quite as attractive. I mean, if you're Texas A&M with, with boosters who are, eager to spend big money 
on a big name, flashy coaching hire? Does hiring the guy from Duke, who's currently six and four, look that flashy? I, I don't know. You know, compared to there, there's talk they're going to go after the head coach at Oregon. Uh, there are there are a lot of other teams out there that are just higher profile than Duke, and and you know feel like more someone that Texas A and M would would go after because Texas A and M has tons of money for their football program. So, I, I, again, I kind of feel like maybe Texas A and M is not the job for Elko, but I'm I'm not going to say that some other job won't come along in the off season and be really really tempting for him. Yeah, let me. I think you nailed it with A and M. Um, it's it's difficult because you know A and M when they moved to the SEC they thought hey more money more dollars you know more more ability to recruit and now they have their old foes coming to join them in Texas and Oklahoma so recruiting and all that stuff and and trying to compete in the SEC is going to get that much more difficult for A and M no matter who's the coach. But I also, again, know that he has that affinity. He just came from there, so he knows the lay of the land there. And maybe he's maybe he's like, hey, I can handle that pressure. I think in the case of Michigan, you mentioned that it was a top you know, 10 job in the, in the sport. Obviously, I'm a little bit more biased than you are. But the Michigan football head coaching job is a top 10 college sports job, right? Maybe even top six. You know, when you think about Michigan football, Ohio State football, Texas football, Bama football, Duke, UNC, Kentucky basketball. Don't, like that's it. I, I, there's nothing else really that you're really competing. Yeah, I mean you're with. you're you're not wrong. You know whether it's top six or top ten, I don't know that it yeah it really matters that much. But you're not wrong, right? And I think when it comes to even you know any of these, like if you remember, you know, a few weeks ago they were talking about him being a top candidate for the Michigan State job, and we were both like, please stay as far away from East Lansing as possible. Yeah, and now. <laughs> Down the road, they're like, oh, you guys were thinking about this guy? We might be thinking about this guy. And uh, with, with everything that's going on at Michigan, you know, that could be a possibility. I, I, I'm i with you. I hope the answer is that he picks up the phone and listens to what they have to say. And he goes, yo, I'm cool. I got a job. I'm I'm all set. Thanks for the, thanks for the call and for the, uh, for the confidence. But I'm going to stay in Durham. And it honestly would be, I, I think that would be the biggest recruiting job that Elko could have or that Duke could have is to keep him in Durham for a few more seasons to keep this trajectory going up. Yeah, we're six and four, but again, we're two injuries away from being what eight and one on the season. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not in, in a referee call. So like we're, we're, we're right there. And I know he knows that. I know the players know it. The fact that this players have bought into the program and bought into his philosophy, that's something that, you know, can't be understated. And so I'm with I'm with you and with probably everyone out there that said that when I say I hope I hope that they do consider him. I hope all these all these coaching jobs open up and they're like, yo, Mike Elko might be our guy. And he takes as many feel feels as many phone calls as he needs to to tell everyone, no, nah, I'm good. I'm staying in Durham. So we obviously have a lot of football season left. We have a lot of offseason to do all this, and this may you know accelerate pretty quickly, but I'm hoping that when we reached the end of December, start of January, Mike Elko's still our coach. Yeah. You mentioned we've got a lot of football season left. Uh, Duke plays Virginia this weekend. This is a very winnable game. Virginia's, you know, up and down team. They're only two and eight on the season, but they have, 
One of those wins was a, a game where they beat UNC. <laughs> um, and they played Miami into overtime. Uh, so and and just last week they played at Louisville and it was a very, very close, very competitive game until Louisville got the win, you know, sort of at the very, very end. So this is a Virginia team that is is pretty good uh, and has been playing a lot better lately. So it won't be an easy game for Duke, but it's a very winnable game for Duke. And getting to seven and possibly even eight wins in the regular season would be huge for this Duke squad. You know, it means a better bowl game. It means more attention on the program, probably helps recruiting, probably helps Mike Elko perhaps look for another gig <laughs> if he wants one I hope he really doesn't but but no we you know look we're 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 almost exclusively about basketball at this point but I will be watching the football team that game against UNC was one of the one of the great college football games you'll ever see uh Grayson Loftus you know is really improving at at quarterback and and we got a big game against Virginia this weekend Virginia is our last road game of the season and then as you mentioned we finish at home against Pitt. as as you mentioned i think those are two winnable games gets a, it would get us to eight and four if we close those two out and yeah you're talking about the holiday bowl in san diego versus maybe like the sun bowl or duke's mayo bowl right like the the higher prestige bowl equals more dollars for the program equals more eyeballs in the program it means a better time slot for them to play in it means you know we're playing in december 28th 29th instead of just after Christmas when a lot of fans may not be able to get to the game. So it's, it's those are little small things that matter in a program. Right. And then again, you know, having those eyeballs, then you get to hear about this is a, you know, three extra weeks of practice for our guys. It's also three extra weeks of free recruiting promo for Duke. When they yeah. talk, you know, when that bowl game happens, they're going to talk about how many, how many, how much the Duke program has improved and all these guys who are doing well. And, and it also gives us, a few extra days maybe to get some of these players back you know riley leonard they said may be back in time for the end of the season or a bowl game so that's three extra weeks but that we have to get him ready it's three extra weeks to get henry bieland ready three extra weeks to get you know graham barton you know a little bit more healthy because he's been playing you know hurt for the last few weeks or, or or sitting out the last few weeks those are key guys that we can get back from injury fully healthy hopefully if we have those extra couple of days, extra couple of weeks of practice. So I'm, I'm really looking forward. It, you know, we always watch the the football team here uh, at the Duke basketball roundup. I know it's basketball here, but I, I think with football, we're really hoping that they finish out the season. Well, it starts this weekend against Virginia and then carry that on into bowl season. And hopefully we get a nice little cushy bowl for us to travel to, because I will travel to the bowl game. That's, that's, that's for certain, but we will leave it there on episode 557 of the Duke basketball roundup. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can email us dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Get your headlines in. Once the game against Michigan state is over, get your headlines in. We will read some of the best ones on the show on Wednesday morning. We have a great, great guest that will hopefully join us on Wednesday to recap everything that is Duke versus Michigan state. But until then, for Jason Evans, I am down the line. And now it is time for the Duke band to play us out and take us home. 